All right, after trying to start this episode and hearing a big, loud bang, like something fell or whatever, how are we doing today? Yeah, I don't know what that was. I literally sat down and I was like, what's going on, everybody? Like I normally do. And next thing I know, I hear, I'm like, what the, what? Did something fall? Did like my ladder fall downstairs or someone breaking in down? I, I don't know. So I had to stop, go back, look at it, see what happened. And then I just started to start over because, you know, had to refocus myself. But anyways, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode number 128 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. How are you doing today? How was your weekend? Was it good? Are you enjoying this awful weather? Because I sure as hell not. They're still making noise over there. They're still making whatever noise over there. Are you enjoying this weather? Because I sure as hell not. I would like 85, 90 degrees and sunny every single day. I am sick of this cold, the snow, the rain, the sleet, the freezing rain, the freezing snow. Well, snow's already frozen. You know what I'm. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. But yeah, what a week. Uh, what a weekend it was. I went to a card show here in Coventry, Rhode Island, and it was absolutely awesome to be able to get a bunch of stuff for the shop, meet a bunch of people, reconnect with a bunch of people, and really engage with the sports card community down in Coventry, Rhode Island. But nonetheless, we have something very, very, very controversial to talk about. And I woke up early to watch this documentary. But before I get into what it is, you may already know what it is. If you are new to the channel, please make sure you like the video, comment down below, and subscribe to the channel if you're new or have not considered subscribing. And if you're listening to audio-only platforms, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying, as I greatly appreciate the love and support. But like I said, this 30 for 30 on ESPN, this documentary, came out last night. And I was going to watch it last night, but I was tired. I was like, no, I want this nice and fresh in my mind for when I record, you know, Murph's Boston Sports Talk today. And it was the tuck rule. The infamous play that jolted, uh, rejuvenated, that changed history for both the Oakland Raiders, or the then Oakland Raiders, and the New England Patriots. For those that may not know, for those that may not know, the tuck rule is a rule in the rule book, or was a rule in the rule book, I should say. But it is most famously known for the AFC Divisional Playoff game in 2002 between the Patriots and the Raiders. So, so to just kind of recap it, right? In the closing moments of the fourth quarter at Foxborough Stadium, because that was the last year of Foxborough Stadium before they opened Gillette Stadium, New England Patriots were trailing by three points with under two minutes to go. It was just under the two-minute warning, and they didn't have any timeouts. I want to say they were, I, I was just watching it today, where were they, like the 45-yard line maybe of the Raiders? And Brady dropped back to pass, you know, takes the ball in the gun, drops back to pass, and here comes Charles Woodson on his front side, not his blind side, his front side, and he goes to sack him. And then in the blink of an eye, Oh, it's the strong side, not front side. Strong side. Ball drops out. Fumble. 
Raiders recover it. It was like a minute and 50 left in the game. Patriots had no timeouts. Raiders basically just sealed the game. Then, the play went under review. Under two minutes, all reviews come from upstairs. So they went to go review it. And after review, referee Walt Coleman reversed the call, declaring the play was an incomplete pass, incomplete forward pass, excuse me, and the possession went back to the New England Patriots. And then, you know, the Patriots marched down the field a little bit more. They kick a 45-yard field goal. Uh, I'm sorry, that field goal was in overtime. They kicked like a 30-yard field goal to tie the game. Game goes in overtime. They march down the field. And they kick an overtime field goal to win because at the time, ooh, I'm trying to get this fuzz off my microphone. <laughs> ah, come on. Because at the time, it was just sudden death. All you needed was three points, and the game was over. No one complains about that rule. You know, just needing three points. And you don't hear anybody of the Raiders be like, oh, Rich Cannon never touched the ball in overtime to score. No, you only hear Chiefs fans complaining about it. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, that rule, or that play, I should say, forever changed the landscape of the New England Patriots. Because without that play, or without that rule, I should say, like I said, it's a fumble. Raiders ball. It was like a minute 50, minute 45 left, no timeouts. They would have won the game. Now, obviously, what would have happened? Who knows? You know, whether the Raiders were going to beat the Steelers or if the AFC was going to beat the, the Rams in the Super Bowl. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not here to play what-ifs. I know Tom Brady and Charles Woodson played a little bit of what-ifs, and it was actually kind of cool. And they, it was pretty cool. I, I mean, Brady said some things that was very uh, eye-opening to me, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But the thing that was, like, really, I don't want to say shocking, but it was just like, bro, like, you don't know. Like, was Charles Woodson. I love Charles Woodson. I'm a big fan of him. I think he was one of the best defensive backs, whether he was playing corner, strong safety, that the league has seen in a long time and deservingly went into the Hall of Fame last year. But, like, he was saying, like, oh, you know, we weren't, you know, going, we weren't going into that game fearing the weather. We were ready to go in there and raid. It's in our name, the Raiders. And, you know, I was coming off the edge. I knew I was going to sack you, and that was going to be the game. And when the ball popped out, we were like, oh, going to Pittsburgh, going to Pittsburgh, you know. And if we went to Pittsburgh, you know, we were going to beat them, and then we were going to play the Rams in the Super Bowl, and we were going to win that, and we would have went back-to-back because we would have kept the team together. So we would have beat the Bucks in the Super Bowl in 2002 because the 2002 Super Bowl, the Buccaneers beat the Raiders in that Super Bowl. So it's like, bro, you just don't know that. <laughs> I mean, you just don't know that. That Steelers team in 2001 was damn good. That defense was disgusting. Like it, the, oh, that that Steelers defense. As much as I hate the Steelers and their fan base, well, they're I don't hate them. They're just kind of annoying. That Steelers team in two thousand one was good, and I do think that Steelers team would have beat the Oakland Raiders. And then obviously in the Super Bowl between the the Rams and even the Raiders or the Steelers, I don't know. But you can't just go out there and say like, oh, we would have beat the. We would have beat the Steelers. We would have beat the the Rams. Like, you just don't know. Like, in 2010, the Super Bowl between the, the uh, well, I can't think of it, the Cardinals and the Steelers. Like, the Patriots had the, probably the best team that year, right? They had the absolute best team that year. 
and they lost in the divisional round to the Jets. But I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, you know, if we beat the Jets, we would have beat the Steelers and we would have beat the Cardinals. Like, I know that for sure. Like, I'd like to think that. And that is what I think. But that's not a guarantee, you know, because the Steelers were good that year. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl. The Cardinals were good that year. Obviously, they made it to the NFC title game. Like, in 2015, when the Patriots lost to the Broncos, like, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that, like, they would have beat the Panthers that year. Y- you get the point. So that was, like, really the only thing that was just kind of, like, annoying on Charles Woodson's part. But other than that, the breakdown between Brady and Woodson was really, really good. So what are my thoughts on the tuck rule? My thoughts on the tuck rule is given what the rule was at the time because that rule has been since abolished uh as of 2013 the nfl got rid of that rule and i guess when you look at it now that play in 2022 that's a fumble but that's 2022 without the tuck rule rule but in 2002 with that rule in effect I mean, that's the rule. I'll read you the exact rules word for word at the time. So the rule was used from 1999 until 2013. And it's been a thing for decades, for decades upon decades. However, it was never really a, like a in the rule book rule. Obviously, we see a quarterback drop back. We're always looking on the screen. You know, when he gets strip sacked, is his arm going forward? Is the arm going forward? Where is the ball? And is it going past, is it past his helmet? Because if the quarterback cocks his arm back and he gets strip sacked, it's a fumble. Yes. And when his arm is moving forward and his, arm, his hand and the ball are at the same plane or past his helmet and the ball comes out, it's an incomplete pass. That's what we know the rule as today. That's what the rule has always been. However, there's that kind of weird gray area where... Your arm is still moving forward, but you're not throwing the ball. And the ball comes out, hence the tuck rule. So let me read what the rule was. NFL Rule 3, Section 22, Article 2, Note 2. When an offensive player is holding the ball to pass it forward, any intentional forward movement of his arm starts a forward pass. Even if the player loses possession of the ball as he's attempting to tuck it back toward his body. Also, if the player has tucked the ball back into his body and then loses possession, it is a fumble. Okay, so as the rule states, and as we saw the play, let's break this down. I'm going to insert you know, players' names and team names into the rule to kind of make it more sense. Now, obviously... The younger generation that's listening to this episode may have no idea what I'm talking about. So if you don't, please go YouTube the Tuck Rule Game. Just type that into YouTube, the Tuck Rule Game, and it will pop up. Type in uh, Patriots, Raiders, Tuck Rule, Brady, Woodson, Tuck Rule. Just type in the Tuck Rule, and it will pop up. Now, obviously, for the older generation, people that watched it live were at the game or simply know about it, you know what I'm talking about. And actually, speaking of that, I do want to hear your thoughts down below because I know not everyone that listens to Merce Boston Sports Talk is a Patriots fan. I know there's a bunch of, you know, Giants fans. There's a bunch of Cowboys and some Steelers. So I already, you know, made fun of them. But let me know what your thought of the tuck rule at that time was. If you watched the game live and you saw that play, 
let me know whether it's in the comment section below here on YouTube or if you're listening to audio-only platforms. Reach out to me via social media at Merce Cartown. Let me know what you initially thought was the ruling on the play. You initially thought. Then, I also want you to say, do you agree with the call that was ultimately stood on the field? So obviously, you know, bang, bang, live action, it looks like a fumble. You slow it down, you look at the replay, the the rule at the time, it's deemed an incomplete pass. But do you agree with that, though? That's what I want to know. So either in the comment section below or reach out to me via social media at Murph's Car Talk. So let's plug and play the information that we have. When Tom Brady is holding the ball to pass it forward, any intentional forward movement of his arm starts a pass. Even if Brady loses possession of the ball as he's attempting to tuck it back towards his body. Also, if the player has tucked the ball into his body and then Charles Woodson hits him, losing possession, it's a fumble. So obviously you kind of need the play to kind of you know work with the, the text here. Brady drops back into the gun. Woodson's coming on the strong side blitz. Brady cocks his arm back, goes past his helmet, and as he's attempting to tuck the ball in to take the sack and to brace for that hit and just go down and let the play be over, the ball is still moving forward and he has not tucked it yet. He is in the process. He is attempting to tuck it toward his body to take that hit and not fumble it. However, since he did not tuck it, he did not officially tuck the ball into his body, he lost possession of the ball resulting in the incompletion. Now, people are saying like, oh, the arm is tucked in. How can you make a pass like that? Well, that's not what the rule says. The ball, it doesn't matter about the arm. You could throw the ball however you want. I mean, you could have your arm strapped to your body. You could still throw it. I mean, we've seen players throw it sidearm, overhand, no look, looking behind the back, underhand. Uh, when they're right-handed, they've thrown it left-handed. There's many ways to throw the ball. You know, shovel passes where you just kind of like, meh, it forward. Just like kind of toss it forward to the guy on the jet sweep. So as Brady is bringing the ball towards his body, attempting to tuck it, he then loses the ball, albeit the ball is still theoretically going forward. Or actually, technically, it is going forward. And the ball comes out. Now, obviously, being a Patriots fan, I'm obviously going to understand this. And I'm going to defend it. As a Raiders fan, you're going to refute uh, refute it. And you're going to be like, nope, it's a fumble. This is the dumbest rule ever. They screwed us. We were going to win. But, like, that's why I want to know what other people's opinions are. You know, people from the outside looking in. You have the text here. But I want to know if you agree with it. This is referred to as the tuck rule because the ball leaving the quarterback's hands is considered a forward pass even if the quarterback intends to not pass the ball, but instead continues the forward motion to tuck the ball back into his body. Only once the forward motion of the arm is completed and the ball tucked into the quarterback's body would be a subsequent loss of possession be considered a fumble. I mean, that's the rule then. 
That was the rule then. Now, obviously, that's not the rule anymore. However, that's not the only instance we've seen the tuck rule come up. Actually, earlier that same year, in 2001, Jets versus Patriots, I think it was week two. Uh, who was it? I think Chad Pennington was quarterback for the, the Jets. Drops back. Or no, it was Vinny Testaverde. It was Vinny Testaverde. Drops back for the Jets, and he goes to pass the ball forward. Ball comes out. However, they ruled it incomplete pass because his arm was going forward, albeit he was getting hit. Tuck rule. You know, Raiders versus Patriots in 2001. Well, technically 2002, but it was the 2001 season. Redskins versus Broncos, or I should say the Commanders versus the Broncos. In 2005, the tuck rule was enforced in a regular season game on October 9, 2005, between Washington and the Broncos. Broncos quarterback Jake Plummer lost the ball while in the Broncos' own end zone. Referees initially called the play a fumble and awarded the football of the Commanders a safety, but after instant replay review, cited the tuck rule in reversing the decision and calling it an incomplete pass. The Broncos eventually went on to win the game. I don't care. Uh, Chiefs-Ravens, 2010. And then in 2013, the rule was repealed by a 29-to-1 vote. And I could only imagine who that one vote was. It was Robert Kraft saying, I love the tuck rule and forever will. And I know um, Al Davis, may he rest in peace, is probably smiling because Al Davis at the time, who owned the Raiders, got absolutely screwed from his perspective. But yeah, there it is. There's the tuck rule. I mean, obviously, you know, to the younger generation, it makes absolutely no sense. And trying to explain it to people who may not understand it still doesn't make any sense. Now, obviously, you look at that same play today, Brady's arms going forward. However, he did not make that pass. And where is his arm is coming down now as he's attempting to still tuck the ball in. And then gets hit, the ball comes out. Yeah, that's a fumble today. But that's just the rule. I mean, look at the Des Bryant catch-no-catch uh, no play in the NFC Divisional game between the Cowboys and the Packers. I think that was a catch. I think he caught the ball, came down 1-2, and attempted to dive. And then, yeah, the ball pops out. But then he's right on top of it to recover if it's a fumble. But clearly they don't think the 1-2 and the dive – was good enough to be a completed pass in a football move. Just the rule at the time. Then they changed it, and there was so much controversy. What's a catch? What isn't a catch? How do you determine it's a catch? That's just a whole nother can of worms. But this documentary actually was really, really interesting because a lot of points were brought up, a lot of different points. You know, that play doesn't happen. What happens to the Patriots? They clearly get eliminated in the 2001 uh, playoffs. What about 2003? What about 2004? Would we have won the Super Bowl? Or the Super Bowls, I should say. Would we have had anywhere, oh, excuse me, anywhere near the same success that we did for the past 20 years? Maybe, maybe not. Tom Brady said in the documentary, if not for the talk rule, I'm probably Drew Bledsoe's backup in 2022. Which is very very interesting. And people still forget that we had Drew Bledsoe on the team that year, who was a very good quarterback. And if it wasn't for Mo Lewis railing Drew Bledsoe on the sideline on a scramble by Bledsoe, Brady would never have gone in. And 
people also forget in the 2001 AFC Championship game against the Steelers after the Patriots beat the Raiders, Tom Brady had a leg injury. He had to come out, and Drew Bledsoe came back and won the game for the Patriots in the AFC Championship against that damn good Steelers team. I mean, people really do forget about Drew Bledsoe. And if you look at 2002, if the tuck rule didn't happen or if, you know, the Patriots lost for whatever reason, then what was the career, what's the career of Tom Brady? What's the success of Tom Brady? Would Drew Bledsoe have been able to lead the Patriots to the playoffs in 2002, 2003, 2004? I mean, he did sign a 10-year contract for like $107 million or whatever it was at the start of the 2000, I think it was the 2000 season. It could, 2000 or 2001 season is when he did sign that contract. So having to trade Bledsoe at the end of the 2001 season after you won the Super Bowl was obviously an easy decision because you just won the Super Bowl with a six-round pick, someone who's not making $10 million, who at the time was the highest-paid player. $10 million was the highest-paid player at the time. It's just so much from that one play. And in the documentary, you, you see... Uh, Brady, you see Brewski, McGinnis, Troy Brown, all talking about, like, what would have happened? Like, could this have happened? Could that have happened? Like, where would we be today? And then, obviously, there was some Raiders players, too. Like, oh, we got screwed, da-da-da-da. It's a fake rule, blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. But then there's also Kraft saying that he loves the tuck rule, and if it wasn't for that one play, you know, the six championships would never have happened. And then, you know, Belichick's talking about it as well, which I was kind of surprised he was in it, to be honest. But Belichick's saying that, like, it's part of the rule. It happened to us before. I'm looking at the replay. I had no doubt in my mind we were going to get the ball back. At the time, it was just part of the rule. And I just don't think people wrap wrap their head around that. They just read the rule. Read the rule. Put the pieces of the play into the rule and try to comprehend it. Yeah, it may not make sense to people that aren't Patriot fans, but I'm trying to break it down as best as I can for you. So that was a great documentary. If you have ESPN Plus or if you have cable, definitely go watch it. It is a fantastic 30 for 30. I don't even know if you need ESPN Plus actually for it. I think if you just go to ESPN app and go 30 for 30s, it's there. But like I said, it's definitely watch, worth a good watch. You'll learn a lot. And especially for the newer folks, the newer generation of Patriot fans or football fans, that is a crucial part of history. Probably, if not, it is the most controversial play in all of NFL history. Or at least NFL recorded history, right? I mean, name another play that is so controversial. Not a play that, like, you know, not like a luck play, call it, you know, the helmet catch, you know, in the Super Bowl. Like, that's a luck play. That's not a controversial play. Came down, caught it on his helmet, and got tackled. That's luck. I mean, the Julian Edelman play, that's luck. You know, he ball could have been intercepted, goes up in the air, he dives and catches it one inch off the ground. That's luck. That's not controversy. The tuck rule is controversy. Again, if you're a younger person, younger generation, football fan, Patriots fan, whatever, go watch the tuck rule. It is the most controversial play, at least in my opinion, in NFL history and sports history oh goodness I mean with all the ramifications that the tuck rule had and 
went on to have. I mean, I can't think of other con- controversial plays in other sports right off the top of my head right now as I'm talking. But I wouldn't be surprised if the tuck rule is number one in all of sports either. I really wouldn't be. So, obviously, I'm happy that the rule was in effect at that time. And ever since, it has been abolished. And for a rule that, I guess, on the surface doesn't make sense, I guess it should be abolished. But then again, in the text, in the literature of the rule book, it makes sense. And I know a lot of people can't wrap their head around that, but it does. It does. But I definitely want to engage with you guys and your thoughts and opinions. Whether you're a Patriot fan, Raiders fan, or a fan of another team, definitely reach out to me via social media at Murph's Cartown. Let me know what you think of the tuck rule ruling the play the game the ramifications the what ifs the could ofs the should ofs whatever let me know at murph's car town on social media and if you're listening to this on youtube please leave those thoughts question comments concerns everything you want to talk about about the tuck rule down in the comment section below so let's move on from the tuck rule as i could talk about the tuck rule all day about how you know, Vinatieri still had to go on and make that kick in the snow. I mean, people forget about that. I mean, people forget about the kick in the snow to force overtime. And the fact the Patriots got the ball to start overtime, they marched down the field, and he kicks a 45-yarder in the snow to win it. I mean, people just forget about that. Oh, and then in the documentary, I know I said I wanted to move on, but I, I do want to talk about this real quick. The Patriots, it was third and one, and the Raiders go to run the ball. They get a stop. They get a stop, right? Fourth and one, fourth and inches, whatever you want to call it. Gruden and the Raiders punt it because, you know, Gruden was the coach at the time. He calls to punt. He punts it. Troy Brown gets it at like the 15, runs, has a good return. It was like a 20, 25-yard return, to be honest. But then he fumbles it as he gets tackled. And we just so happen to have more guys in the area to recover the ball. And the Patriots did recover the ball. But, like, there was so many other plays in that game that helped lead up to that tuck rule play and then even after the tuck rule play. Like, the first three quarters, or probably the thir- first three and a half quarters, was just good football and crazy weather, good defensive game, uh, not a lot of points being scored. But then, the, like, the last six minutes of the game and then obviously into overtime is what's always talked about. So, yes, there was that one controversial play in the game, but there were so many other factors before and after it. Holy smokes, what uh, a crazy game to just look back on. Obviously, it works in my favor because I'm a Patriots fan. However, trying to watch that and understand it as an NFL fan, it's just bizarre. It's really bizarre to think because what if the Raiders converted on third and one? What if they went for it on fourth down and got it? What if they went for it? on fourth down and didn't get it what if troy brown didn't fumble what if troy brown fumbled but the raiders recovered i mean there's just so much what if vinatieri missed the field goal to force overtime obviously the game's over what if vinatieri misses the field goal to win the game in overtime then what it's just there's so much to think about outside of the tuck rule play and that kind of what also makes it so beautiful and like, incredible that it happened is it was so much more than just that one play. It wasn't like that one play, you know, 
That one play would have won it for the Raiders, but it's not like that one play won it for the Patriots. So definitely trying to think about it and, you know, talk about it with so many other ramifications, with so many other uh, attributes and uh, components to the game itself in the last six minutes in overtime. It's just wildly bizarre and wildly mind-blowing in a way. But let's put the tuck rule conversation on the back burner. Maybe we'll revisit it later on, maybe on Friday's episode when other people come out and talk about it. Maybe we'll see. But I do want to talk about the Pro Bowl real quick. I do. I know. Shocker, right? And then I want to get into the Super Bowl. Quick quick little Super Bowl preview as, you know, next episode, episode 129. Be talking all about the Super Bowl. But let's talk about the Pro Bowl real quick. I'm not going to go into the X and O's and this and that about it, but, you know, AFC beat the NFC 41-35. to Mac Jones probably got the most reps for the quarterback of the AFC, which is freaking awesome. Uh, he went 12 for 16, 112 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Not that the stats really matter. I mean, there's really no defense when a guy gets bear bear hugged or two-hand touched. They call it dead to prevent injuries, which is awesome. I think that they should do that because if they were running full speed, I mean, no one would want to go play and force an injury. I do wish the defense did try a little bit more, maybe in coverage, but it is what it is. Mac Jones, 12 for 16 with some uh, good receivers, finding Mark Andrews on a threading the needle type of ball, finding um, Hunter Renfro in the back of the end zone, again, threading the needle. Uh, it's good to see what Mac Jones was able to look like with a all-star cast of players around him, such as Andrews, Renfro, uh, Deontay Johnson, Nick Chubb, Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of great players that were there. But one name that does stick out to me is Hunter Renfro because he is a free agent at the end of the season. Oh, season's over. He is a free agent, right? He's a free agent once the Super Bowl is done and played. And he had a Pro Bowl caliber year. He was one of the main reasons why the Raiders got to the playoffs and was in the wild card game for so long. They almost won the game against the Bengals. And... At the beginning of the season, it was him and Ruggs with Darren Waller. That's a really good 1-2-3 punch right there. Plus, you have Josh Jacobs in the backfield. I mean, that's a pretty solid core of skill players. Then, you know, Ruggs, you know, the whole situation with Henry Ruggs happens. Darren Waller's in and out of the lineup and mostly out of it. Josh Jacobs couldn't get his legs going on the ground, but still had a decent season. So the guy for the Raiders was Hunter Renfro. And we saw the type of season he had. He's a great slot receiver. I mean, he can return punts. He had that fantastic play on the fake punt. I get, I forget who it was against. Cowboys, maybe? Was it Thanksgiving? I'm not exactly sure. But he lines back, uh, lines up to take the, the punt return. And he kind of sees, you know, that's a fake punt. The ball gets snapped, and he's rushing. He is running from 50 yards back to get up to the gunner who catches the ball from the punter, and tackles him. And I forget if he was either short or if it was incomplete. It was a fantastic, 100% all-out effort kind of a play. Perfect, perfect play from him. Again, to go along with his uh, Pro Bowl caliber receiving season, his punt return stats, his just high motor, his energy, his work ethic, his obviously you know, 100% all-out effort on every single play. Sounds like the perfect Patriot to me. 
<laughs> and I'm hearing links and rumors that he's connected to the Patriots. Not, well, not he's connected to the Patriots, but Patriots and Renfro, there could be a connection there. Obviously, there's going to be nothing to start right now because the Super Bowl needs to be finished. And obviously, we need to get into free agency in March. But hey, if you can bring in Hunter Renfro to be a slot guy, then you have Jacoby Myers on the outside, who was playing slot. So I guess, you know, having Myers as a secondary slot guy, but he probably should be more of an outside guy, I think. Kendrick Bourne on the outside. Nelson Aguilar can see you later. Head to the moon. I don't care. I'm done with you. You're waste of money. Then you got Hunter Henry. Hopefully, John Smith can figure his shit out. And plus the backfield that you have, that's pretty good. To go along with rumors you're hearing Calvin Ridley being possibly linked to the Patriots. I mean, stud, top five potential wide receiver. Had a down year for the games that he did play. And then, you know, he stepped away from mental health issues. So could the Falcons be looking to trade him? And if so, what's his trade value because of the mental health aspect of it, which it shouldn't be in consideration, but from a business perspective, it is. You know, I've heard the Patriots name linked to Ridley numerous times, which would be freaking awesome. You bring in Renfro, you bring in Ridley, you have your slot guy, you have your your top five receiver guy, and then you got um, Jacoby Myers, and you have Kendrick Bourne to fill in the other holes plus Hunter Henry, plus Jonu Smith, plus your running backs. That is a great damn receiving core. That is what the offense needs, and that is what Mac Jones needs. Like, wow. Just, I was thinking about it in the car ride here to the shop, and I was thinking about the whole Hunter Renfro piece because I was listening to it on the radio. And then it dawned on me. It's like, oh, my goodness. Calvin Ridley has been linked to the Patriots too. You know, Alabama guy. Big fan of his play, puts up good numbers. Wow, this could actually be a damn thing. Now, obviously, Ridley will have to get traded to the Patriots, and Hunter Renfro can sign with the Patriots. So, Renfro coming to the Patriots via free agency is going to be a lot easier than the Falcons trading Ridley because we don't even know if the Falcons actually do want to trade Ridley. Obviously, it's just a bunch of reports and rumors because the Falcons could be hitting the reset button, with an aging Matt Ryan, they obviously have a young Kyle Pitts. Calvin Ridley's young too, but if you can get some pieces to kind of help you reset and rebuild faster, then hey, why not just move on from him? Because he's going to be asking for a lot of money very, very soon. I believe uh, he's a free agent at the end of next season. So Falcons are going to have some question marks to face in terms of their team. And trading Calvin Ridley could be a really good spot because you'd probably get a high draft pick for him. You'd definitely get a number one and some if he was healthy and performing. But since the mental health issue where he stepped away, where is his trade value? Well, that's for someone else to figure out. But it was nice to see you know all the stars of the NFL or just about all the stars from the NFL playing in one game and having some fun over the course of Pro Bowl week. However... We do have more to talk about. We don't have just the Pro Bowl to talk about. I do want to talk about the Super Bowl, though. Super Bowl 56 between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Oh, I guess Englewood, California. But Los Angeles, home of the Rams. Home of the Chargers, too. What do we expect? And I want to dive well more into this on Friday's episode as well. 
But what what can we just initially expect as we're now in Super Bowl week? Well, I expect there to be a lot of offense. I do. I think it's going to be a really offensive-heavy kind of a game because both offenses are dynamite. They're good. They're electric. They can move the ball fast. They can put up points fast. And, yes, the Rams do have a better defense, which will have a much better chance to slow down the Bengals' offense compared to the Bengals' defense attempting to slow down the Rams' offense. But Joe Burrow, the way he's been playing, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, and you can't forget Tyler Boyd as well, that team is good. And C.J. Uzama, if he's healthy, which he should be healthy to, to play in the Super Bowl, I mean, the Bengals have a good shot at doing this, at least sticking up, uh, at least staying within the game pound for pound, punch for punch. If the Rams score a touchdown, the Bengals can score one too. It's not like they're being carried by their defense or they have no offense. They have an offense. I think the biggest question mark for the Bengals is going to be, can they slow down the Rams' offense? Because I know, or at least I can believe that the Rams will be able to slow down the Bengals' offense. Well, I think it will happen on some drives, yeah. And I think on some drives, the Bengals will just be able to score in like five plays. But can the Bengals slow down the Rams' offense? That's probably, for me at least right now, as I sit six days away from the Super Bowl, the biggest question. Can the Bengals slow down the Rams' offense? I think, so they were able to slow down the Chiefs' offense in the second half. The first half of the AFC title game, it looked terrible. Absolutely terrible. However, that second half, they only gave up three points. Uh, let me wait, let me double check. Three points, right? Um, let me see, let me see. I gotta go back. I wanna say it was only three points. Yeah, it was just three points in the fourth quarter. That was it. Which is pretty damn impressive against Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. So will the Bengals be able to do similar to the Rams? I don't know. Because let's say the Bengals go down 21-3 to against the Rams. Okay? The Rams and the Chiefs offense, fairly similar. I think I'm going to favor the Rams here. The Rams defense compared to the Chiefs defense in slowing down the Bengals from coming back from 21-3. to I'm going to obviously favor the Rams because they have a legitimate defense, whereas the Chiefs have a shitty defense. Just going to be blunt about it. Their defense sucks. So the Bengals being able to come back from 21 to 3 against the Chiefs, yes, that was a fantastic comeback. However, it's not hard to believe. So the Bengals offense gets to a slow start in the Super Bowl, and they get behind early. I just don't think they'll be able to come back, though, from 21 to 3 if they do find themselves in that position against the Rams. I mean, I know people have doubted them pretty much all season and all playoffs for sure, whether it was against the Raiders whether it was against the Titans or most recently against the Chiefs. So I don't want to count them out if they do get down 21-3. to Because let's not forget, in the NFC Divisional game, the Rams had a 27-3 lead over the Buccaneers. Albeit it was Tom Brady was the quarterback, but Buccaneers' weapons were all injured, dinged up. All they had was Mike Evans and Gronk, who was you know still a shell of himself. He's 33 years old. So... They gave up. I mean, granted, still Tom Brady. You can't count out Tom Brady. But, like, the Rams defense also blew a 27-3 lead. So is it possible that the Bengals could come back being down 21-3 to 
in the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's possible. Again, they were able to come back against the Chiefs. You can't count out that Bengals' high-potent offense. The Rams blew a 27-3 lead against the Buccaneers a few weeks ago. It's just there's so many variables and factors, and yeah, it's still early, but these are things we need to consider because a lot of people are picking the Rams, and deservingly so. The Rams should be picked, but the Bengals should not be ignored in this game. Now, I don't know who I'm going to pick. People keep asking me, who am I picking? Who am I picking? And I keep telling them every time. I'm like, I don't care. I really don't care. I am really, I enjoyed watching the Bengals beat the Chiefs. And I was able to sit back and relax and enjoy that 49ers-Rams-NFC game. It's the perfect Super Bowl matchup for me. And I think it's the perfect matchup for America. People love Matthew Stafford. Lions fans love Matthew Stafford. America loves Stafford for dealing with the Lions for a decade. A decade plus. I think it was like 11 years maybe, 12 years. And then people love the swagger and the attitude and the cockiness from Joe Burrow. And what the Bengals are doing, the underdog story, clearly they've been underdogs I think every single game, maybe except the Raiders game. But the Titans and the Chiefs game, they were... I just dropped my pen. Jesus. I'm like playing with my pen here and I just dropped it on the desk. And they've been able to prove that they can beat, you know, the favored. So, I don't care who wins. I don't care. I'll give you a prediction on Friday of a score and who I think will win. I'll give you all of that on Friday. But right now, I'm just happy the Chiefs aren't in it. I'm happy that the, well, I mean, I guess that's really it. I mean, the 49ers would have got, I guess I would have cared less. I guess I would have cared less. If the Packers got in, I would have cared less if the Titans got in. I don't know. I just, I'm just happy the Chiefs aren't in it. Eh, there we go. So having the Bengals and the wagon that they are, led by Joe Burrow and the swagger and cockiness that he has, and the underdog story of the Bengals. I mean, they had the fifth overall pick in this past year's draft. They were like five and eleven last year. Four and twelve. I don't know what the record was, but it was bad. And now they're in the Super Bowl. And then you got the amazing, theatrically, love story of America and Matthew Stafford. So, I don't think you can go wrong with either team, picking either team. Obviously, you could probably favor the Rams because they have a much better defense. If you want to call the offenses a wash, fine. I don't think that's far-fetched to say. But the Rams do have a better defense, and I do acknowledge that. But all the other intangibles I am considering, the Bengals being able to come back, the Rams blowing the lead, you know, the Bengals being able to go on the road and win, and the Rams being able to, you know, air it out when they have to, whatever the intangibles may be for both teams. So these are things that I have to consider, and you do too, as you pick your winner. But I want to know who you're picking to win Super Bowl 56 between the Rams and the Bengals. Reach out to me via social media, at Murph's Cartown. Or leave a comment down in the comment section below here on YouTube. Who are you picking to win? The Los Angeles Rams or the Cincinnati Bengals? I'm going to be posting a ton on social media, whether it's on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. So make sure you follow me. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel to stay in tune to what is coming out this week. Because it is Super Bowl week. It is one of the best times of the year. And I cannot wait for Super Bowl 56 on Sunday, February 13th. But 
we do have another episode, episode number 129 on Friday that we need to look forward to and we cannot skip. But that is going to do it for this episode, episode number 128 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Again, for those listening on audio-only platforms, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I greatly appreciate it. And please make sure you're following me on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Murph's Cartown. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, please make sure you smash the thumbs up button if you enjoyed today's episode. Leave any and all comments down in the comment section below. And please consider subscribing to the channel if you're new or have not considered subscribing yet. But again, that is going to do it for this one. I will catch you in the next one, which is on Friday for episode number 129. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you and I will always, always see you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.